to all of us, I hope. So my name's Bjorn Anderson. Uh, my family and I have been members here for a number of years, and I get to uh, share a little bit of teaching uh, this morning as we continue our series in the book of Mark. Before we uh, get into that, I want to give a shout out to um, Brendan preached last week, and he asked this question. This was the question at the start of his sermon, which is sort of like, maybe it's like, oh, that's like a very generic question to ask at the start of the sermon, but I thought it was so good. He said, what's something in your life that you think, if I attain this thing, I'll be at rest. And I was listening to this, this sermon, and I thought, that is such a good question, because wherever you are in life, like you probably have something that you think, if this happens, like then that's gonna be kinda, like things will really be good in my life when this thing happens. And I was thinking about my own life as I listened to that sermon. I was thinking about, I thought of two quick things. Um, one is my job, my where a lot of us think maybe if this thing happens in our job, things will be really good. I, I work for Young Life, which is a ministry. We reach out to high school and middle school kids. And about uh, seven years ago, part of my job was to try to restart Young Life in the city of Boston. And there was nothing going on, and it was, seemed like hard work. And I remember thinking, if we could just somewhere in some place in Boston reach out to some students, it would be awesome. And seven years later, there's actually four Young Life Ministries in Boston. We have an awesome team. We're reaching a lot of students. I'm like more stressed and anxious about it than I was seven years ago. I'm not like, oh man, so glad I made, it's like I, I'm still like kind of churned up about it. I sort of like got what I wanted and it wasn't enough. Then I think about my family, which is awesome. They're sitting here in the front row, or half of them are. And I think if you could have like talked to 24-year-old Bjorn, and said, like, when you're in your mid-40s, you'll have, you know, you'll be married, you'll have a home, you'll have these kids. Like, it'd be like, ah, oh, that'll be great. But I'm still stressed about things. I'm still nervous about things. Like, there's, th like, I love my family, but it's like, the, like the thing, we get the thing, and then we just go on to the next thing, which is why we need Jesus. Like, I just can't imagine, I'm like, that's why we need Jesus, because the thing I just described, take out young life, take out your family, and put anything in there, like, it's going to be true of anything, which is why we need Jesus. So thank you, Brendan, for making that good point um, with sort of a generic sermon question intro. Really good generic sermon question intro that had a lot of good points. So, hey, we're continuing on in the Gospel of Mark. That's where, uh, what our teaching series has been in. We're in week four of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it's the second book in the New Testament written by Mark. Uh, most people think it's an eyewitness account from the life of Peter, who is Jesus' closest friend and closest disciple. Like that he gave eyewitness testimony to Mark. Mark copied it down. Uh, we're going to dive into a fairly large section of Mark, but I'm going to ask another generic sermon opening question for you, okay? Which is, what do you worship? Sort of maybe like a twist on the question Brendan asked last week, but what do you worship? And you might think, like, if, you've, if you're a church-going person, you're like, well, I worship Jesus. Like, that's why I'm here. I, my, we just sang songs to him for 30 minutes. I don't sing songs to anybody else. Like, um, I worship Jesus. Maybe you're sort of newish to church, and you're like, I don't, I don't, like, worship anything. I'm just, like, living life, trying to be a good person, trying to get by. Like, 
not really worshiping anything. Um, but so, a few years ago, somebody, like I heard a sermon and they reframed the word worship with a different word, which helped me think about it a little bit different. It said, worship is attention. And the question is like, what do you give your attention to? And like the thing that you give the most of your attention to may be the thing that you worship. And we all, we give our attention to like many, many things in this world. We give our attention to like the Taylor Swift eras tour. We give our attention to like weight we want to lose. We give our attention to like if the Patriots defense can stand up against the Cowboys offense today all the way to like um, I don't think I have enough money and I might need to get a new job. We give our attention to YouTube shorts videos all the way to like I have aging parents or a parent that's about to pass away and I don't know what to do with that. We give our attention to large things, small things all the time. Part of why we gather together on a Sunday morning is to try to turn our attention to Jesus and turn our attention away from some of the things that take our attention um, all the time in our lives. So hopefully this morning, we're going to turn our attention to Jesus a little bit more. We're going to look at all of Mark chapter 5. If you open up your Bible and look at that, you're going to be like, look, I got plans, like at 4 p.m. I cannot do this. We're going to try to do it. It's a great chapter, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to take it in four sections. I'm going to read about 10. You're going to stand up. I'm going to read 10 verses. At the end, I'm going to say the word of the Lord. You're going to say, thanks be to God. Then you're going to sit down. And I'm going to draw on the collective wisdom in the room and just ask for some people to give me some things like, what do you learn about Jesus in this section that I just read? Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in you. So you would have as much to say about this passage as I would as the person with the microphone, so maybe you would just want to share some things, and we'll take a few things, I'll give a few thoughts, and we'll move on to the next 10 verses, okay? And we're going to try to do it. We'll have you out of here by 2.30, no problem, okay? Um, all right, hey, let me say a prayer for us, and then we'll get going. Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. We're really thankful um, for the sunshine. We see the changing leaves, and Lord, you didn't... Uh, you should have just made the leaves fall off the trees. They didn't have to change colors. And we thank you that you show your creativity and power even in that simple thing. Um, and it draws our minds and hearts to how beautiful you are. So we pray that we'd see those changing leaves in the next few weeks and give worship to you. Lord, I lift up those of us who come in here today and maybe we're, uh, we're not feeling it. We're not really uh, excited to be here. Um, we're just trying to get through this time till we can get on with what we have ahead of us. And I pray that you'd meet us if we're in that place. Lord, I uh, pray for those of us who are very excited to be here. And Lord, that your spirit would keep uh, that passion alive and help us know you more in our time today. And I pray that the things we learn about you would help draw our attention to you and away from things of this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, go to Mark chapter 5. I'd let, it would be great to have a Bible or a cellular device open in front of you while we, we're going to like <clears throat> work our way through Mark 5. So why don't you have a phone with you or a copy of the scripture? It's going to be on the screen, okay? We're going to read Mark 5, 1 through 10. So stand up, okay? We're going after it. Mark 5, 1 through 10. I'm reading the ESV. The screen is the ESV. If you have another translation... Do you. You know what I'm saying? That's usually not a good piece of advice. It's it, it just, sorry. Heresy. Sorry. All right. Um, all right. All right. Okay, here we go. Um, 
Mark 5, 1 through 10. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. The word of the Lord. Okay, you can have a seat. All right, tell me, I got some thoughts. What do you notice about Jesus? Anyone want to say anything they notice about Jesus or any thoughts they might have from this passage? Jesus is powerful. That's great. What else? Any thoughts? Yes. Demon falls down before Jesus. That's an interesting point, okay? Um, The demon falls down before Jesus, and the demon, what does he say to Jesus? He says, he calls him by, the, by Jesus' correct name, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Let me just tell you, demons generally sometimes do have good theology. <laughs> this, this demon has good theology. He knows who Jesus is. Like, we get really concerned about theology, but the idea of it is to put it into practice. The demon is actually not putting it into practice. He's rebelling against that fact, but he does acknowledge and has to fall down before God. There's a cool verse, James 2.19. It says, you believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Like, like belief is meant to be put into practice. It's not just enough to like have correct theology. Um, but the demons do have to ultimately submit to God because Jesus is more powerful. There's another passage in Job, which is a little bit, of, it's, it's a, a, a hard book, but at the beginning of Job, Satan comes and has like a conference with God in Job 1, and it says that Satan has t- presented himself before God. The word is like Satan had to like, like, fall, like go on his knees before God to have the conference. So like there is a fact of like what you just said, Soren, that, that, the, that the demon falls on his like, face before God. The, the demons. What else? Anything else you might notice from this passage? Yeah, Michaela. I um, did not know where it was going. So, yeah. so for, for our group edification, adjure means urge or request someone solemnly or Great. Michaela looked up the word adjure. Some of you are probably taking the SATs or PSATs soon. Could be on there. It means to like solemnly ask somebody for something, sort of. Yeah, so the demon is like asking Jesus, um, what does he say? I adjure you, uh, what verses? Oh, seven, seven. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Yeah, interesting. So the demon is like, like he's, he's, he recognizes that Jesus is in, is in control. Yeah, Trevor. 
Jesus goes to those who've been cast out. It would be hard to imagine a person more outcast than this person. He lives in a cemetery. Chained up, broke the chains, cutting himself with stones. Probably very scary. You've maybe heard the term like that some, that person has one foot in the grave. That would describe this guy. Jesus goes to him. So cool. He actually takes great effort to go to him. He's got to cross a boat. Uh, it's really cool. Anything else? Yeah, theoretically, if the demon has power to break chains, couldn't he kill Jesus, destroy, you know, like that kind of thing. But Jesus is more powerful and isn't going to allow that to happen. So, yeah, a power imbalance, even though this demon is incredibly powerful. We're going to move on to the next thing. But last thing I'll just mention is that Jesus goes to the region of the Gerasenes, which is largely a Gentile region. Jesus is Jewish. Most of his followers at this point are Jewish. He's like going to sort of a new place with his message, a place of Gentiles. So that's like Trevor saying he, he um, crosses barriers uh, to go to outcast people, which is kind of neat. All right, we're going to keep going. Stand up, Mark 5, 11 through 20. We're going to read 11 through 20. The story continues. We'll get it up on the screen. It says this. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The word of the Lord. All right. The story continues. Jesus has the conversation with the demon in the man. What do you notice here about Jesus or what stands out to you or maybe a question you might have? Yes. Yeah, so the guy, when he's healed of the demons, like wants to go with Jesus, which seems like a good request. Jesus says, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. That might be a harder thing for the man. You ever feel like, man, I'm like, I want to like, I'm going to be so nice to people. And then like in your family are like the hardest group of people for you to actually like kind of like represent Jesus to. Um, and Jesus sends the guy home to his family. And actually, he doesn't say like, 
hey, um, go, go, go to, to your people and like tell them the Roman road and have them pray the ABC prayer. I'm not against either of those things if you know what those things are, but he actually just says, go home and tell, the, tell people how the Lord has had mercy on you. That's kind of cool, right? Like, just go talk about what God has done in your life. It's kind of neat. Good point. What else? Anything else stand out to people from this section? Yeah, Ollie. Well, there's two beggings going on. First, uh, the uh, Legion of Demons is taking Jesus and sending them out of the country. Yep. Two different begging going on. The demon and the, the, the demons and the man are begging um, Jesus where to go, and then they end up going into the pigs. And then the people ask, beg, ask Jesus to leave their town. That's a little, um, like parts of this are disturbing to me, to be honest. Like 2,000 pigs die. Like I don't really know what to do with that. I don't like it, but it did happen. And then like, um, the people are like, Jesus, we don't want you around here. Like, G not everybody always universally loves Jesus. Jesus could be controversial. Um, I, th I think that's true, you know? Um, so yeah, there's two different beggings going on. I will also say, apparently, the life of this man is more valuable than 2,000 pigs. That is apparently true. Um, because the man is made in the image of God. There's value in that. Yeah, Heidi. Yeah, high chance that the man himself was a Gentile, non-Jewish person. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So Jesus was healing a Gentile, reaching out to a Gentile person, which was a big deal, a very big deal in that culture, right? Yeah, go ahead, Brittany. When they hear the testimony of the sheep herders, everyone's afraid. Yeah. When they hear the testimony of the man, they're amazed. Yeah, yeah. So when they see the man, they're amazed. It's also interesting that apparently... Um, the guy in the tombs chained up was like normal. Him being dressed and in his right mind was scary. Right, like almost that like the, the power of Jesus in the man's life sort of scared people. Like they were used to the guy being messed up. Um, like are there things in our lives that we get used to that Jesus is like, I wanna kinda, I wanna have power over that. But it might, it might, mess up the system a little. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, go ahead, Andy. Uh, the way the demons beg, if they can't be in the man, let us be in the pig. Yeah. It reminds me that corrupting influences, corrupting people, corrupting ideas, all of them look into the next group. Yeah. I can't be in one place if they try to destroy the mm -hmm. next group. Yeah, and the, the intent of the demons is to destroy. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, the, the, demon, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Like the intent of a demon is to destroy. You see that in the pigs. Jesus doesn't kill the pigs, the demons do. If they can't get the man, they're gonna destroy something else. And you see that at work in our society. Like there's powers of evil trying to destroy things. Yeah, they were so used, this is awesome. They were so used to the guy being 
possessed by the demon that they're scared or surprised when he isn't. Great point. Yeah, Grace. Jesus gives permission to the demons to go into the pigs. Like, Jesus allows it, and so Jesus does have control over the situation, which is what Grace was saying. Okay, we're going to keep going. The story changes a little. We're going to go to verse 21. Stand up. We're going to read 21 to 34, okay? And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The word of the Lord. You can have a seat. All right, the story changes. Jesus goes back across the lake and he encounters different people. What do you see? What do you notice? Anything? Yes. Yeah. So we have another person falling at Jesus' feet, almost the exact opposite of the guy who fell at his feet in the first. We have a demon-possessed Gentile, non-Jewish person, and then we have a synagogue ruler, like a very important Jewish person falling at Jesus' feet. This person was probably, according to that day, was more, was higher on the social ladder than Jesus himself, much higher, falls at Jesus' feet. So cool. Great point. Yeah. Jesus doesn't work on our timeline. He works on his own timeline, okay? Jesus is interrupted. Okay, you have a 12-year-old girl. We find out later that she's 12. Uh, we have a 12-year-old girl dying and a person with a chronic condition that, sh- that she has had for 12 years. In an emergency room, it would be malpractice. We have someone dying Oh, we have this person that's gone to a lot of doctors for 12 years, and I need to go treat them first. Jesus spends time with the woman with the issue of blood and doesn't, and he, and he, on his way to heal this sick person, 
Can you imagine what Jairus is thinking? Like, what are we doing looking for this woman in the crowd? Come on, like, what are we doing, Jesus? And Jesus looking around in the crowd, having this long conversation with this, this woman. It doesn't work on our timeline. It's maddening sometimes. It's good. Yeah, my, I'm gonna go. did you have something, Miles? Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, go ahead. Right. The woman with the issue of blood, there, the, through the law of Moses, she most likely had a, um, a flow of blood like connected to her menstrual cycle not working properly. And it meant that she was unclean. If she was in pu a public place, like a leper, a person with leprosy, she should, according to the law, have been walking around saying, unclean, unclean. Um, shameful, probably very private, very hard for this woman. To touch Jesus made him unclean. Like she took a risk, then he took a risk. Be can God take a risk? Sorry, I don't know. Anyway, but did, he, he did something that was crazy, okay? Where he like, he, um, he sought her out in the crowd to have a relationship with an unclean woman, a woman that made him unclean. Yeah, Michaela. And, and she falls at his feet, too. Third person that falls at his feet in this chapter. Really cool. Kind of interesting, right? Uh, we got a lot of people. Yeah, Dave, go ahead. What do you think it means that he sent power to Jesus? Yeah. That's really an interesting phrase, right? He sensed the power go out from him. Jesus does a lot of miracles in a lot of different ways. Like blind people, sometimes he puts mud on their eyes. Sometimes he touches them. In this one, it was like an inadvertent miracle right like she touched him he sensed the power go out from him it's cool it's like mysterious <laughs> you know um but it's it's interesting yeah you had something else Yeah, so he's... Yeah, they, they it's, it's neat. He's, he wants to find the woman. His disciples are like, everyone's touching you. There's a lot of people around. Don't worry about it. Almost like, let's keep going. And he's seeking out the individual. There's crowds of people around Jesus, but Jesus engages distinct individuals. Like Jesus engages a crowd so he can engage an individual. Jesus in, doesn't like see you as one of a face in the crowd. He sees you as you. Like when he has this conversation with the woman, one translation actually says that she falls at his feet and tells Jesus the whole story. That would, that's probably a painful story. Some of you have probably dealt with medical issues that you can't get an answer for that go on and on and on. And each time you go to a doctor and you think, oh, this will be the time. And it got worse for her. She spent all her money. It was like an internal maybe shameful condition, and she tells that to Jesus. He kind of wants to hear it. In the middle of a crowd, while he's on the way to another healing. Really cool. 
Did you have something, Liam? Yeah. Yeah, our faith carries power. The power is, is really found in Jesus, <laughs> not our faith, but there is power in the object of our faith. Yeah, go ahead, Andy. Totally. Yep. Jairus, who we heard about before, the synagogue ruler, really high on the social ladder. Bleeding woman, very low on the social ladder. Jesus stops time for the powerful to engage with this, like, probably like who would be an outcast woman who people would sort of like really like run away from, punish maybe. All right, let's keep going. Oh, last thing I'll say. Sometimes we, we talk about this, this story in, um, at Young Life Talks to high school students, and we talk about the woman going to all these doctors trying to get better, and we use this question, which I think is an interesting question, what doctor are you going to hoping to fix your life? And, and we would say, like, Jesus is the one who can fix your life, but we go to other doctors. Kind of interesting. Um, my dad was a doctor. I'm not against doctors. I like them. They're fine. It's good. Glad, glad. I'm going to see a doctor tomorrow. It'll be great. Okay. All right. We're going to keep going. Stand up. Last section. Um, we're going to finish up this, this story here. Mark thir- uh, 5, 35 to 43. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Um. Hey, I'm just going to, well, thank you for your participation in this. Thank you for sharing. Um, it's neat to hear the different comments and thoughts and things that come out about this. This would also be like, this is why we have community groups, so we can share some of this in a, in a smaller setting, because we can't always, if this isn't usually the setting to do something like that. Um, and so, like, I'd encourage you to engage with other people. The scripture is living and active and beautiful, and that's why we're doing it. Um, But as we finish up this chapter, it's just interesting. Someone brought up earlier, I'll just draw out a few points and as we wrap up, is that the the timing of Jesus is um, mysterious. He doesn't work on, while he is interacting with the woman with issue of blood, the, the little girl dies. That would be traumatic for Jairus. He thinks Jesus is gonna heal the daughter, or he asks Jesus to heal. Oh, Jesus is coming with me, great. Oh, she's dead. Like, maybe we feel like that. Like, Jesus, I wanted you to do it this way. Um, 
Jesus says this awesome line in um, verse 36. He says, do not fear, only believe. Another translation would say, don't be afraid, just believe. It's a great line. Jairus has to believe and then walk with Jesus to his house where he's greeted by his daughter who's dead. Like, that's a pretty hard situation. Like, that's really putting your faith into action. Um, and then Jesus, Jesus brings the girl back uh, from the dead. The Talitha kum is uh, Aramaic. The phrase would almost be like Jesus saying, like, honey, get up. Like, talking so tenderly to this little girl. And it's interesting that the people come and tell Jesus one thing. They say, she's dead. And he says, she's sleeping. I don't think it's that Jesus, like, misunderstood. But the idea is that when we're connected to Christ, death is as sleep, I think. Um, Sam talked about this in a sermon on Easter two years ago. Beautiful illustration that Paul frequently in the Bible refers to people in Christ who die as having fallen asleep. And the idea is that if we're connected to Christ, death is like sleep. Like if I go to sleep in the other room, I'm, I'm disconnected from my family or Abby. I'm not in like active relationship with them, but it's like, oh, he's just in the other room, it'll be fine, but like, it, in Christ, death will be turned back in that way. Um, and Jesus actually raises her from the dead, um, which is really, really neat. Um, I want to uh, make two more points uh, r very quickly, and then we'll pray, but the, the whole, the first thing I said, what do you notice? And someone said, powerful the idea of this sermon is Jesus is a powerful king. Two things about Jesus' power that will draw out, it won't, it won't take long, um, is that number one, Jesus' power crosses barriers. Most powerful people in our society create barriers, they don't cross barriers. Like you can't just walk into the White House and talk to the president, there's a lot of barriers. If you go to a concert, the artist generally doesn't just walk off stage afterwards and want to go to your house and hang out. That person like gets in a like limo with tinted windows and goes off to a high-rise hotel and locks the door and spends time with who they want to hang out with. Jesus is the most powerful person ever, and he crossed barriers. In this chapter, Jesus crosses the barrier of geography because he goes across the lake to the Gerasenes. He crosses the barrier of culture from Judaism to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. He crosses the barrier of gender. He's a man. He interacts with a number of women. Um, he crosses the barrier of religion. He, is, he would have been made unclean by his interaction with the woman with blood and the dead body, also uh, in, according to the Mosaic law, not something that he should have been doing, but he, he crosses that barrier, and he crosses the barrier of death. Like, he uses his power to, to, to bridge gaps, not make them. Just so cool. The second thing is that Jesus' power is, is more. It's more, and here's what I mean by that, is it's more than we think, but also requires more of us. I just want to draw out the woman with the bleeding and Jairus. 
The woman with the bleeding got more than she was thinking that she would get from Jesus' power. She wanted an anonymous healing. What she got was a personal interaction with Jesus where she could share her whole story with him. And he calls her daughter. The only time Jesus ever uses that word in the Gospels. So beautiful. This marginalized, outcast woman, he calls her daughter. You're in my family. She gets the opportunity to have a personal relationship with Jesus. She gets more. Jairus comes for a healing. His daughter's sick. He wants to be healed. What he gets is a resurrection. She dies and comes back to life. But they both have to give more. The woman has to give up her anonymity. She gets outed in the crowd. Very scary. What's going to happen? Is Jesus actually going to be mad at me? What does the crowd think of me? This condition I've been maybe trying to hide is now public. She has to give up more. Jairus has to hear that his daughter has died and then walk into his home and interact with his daughter who's dead. It takes more faith. The beauty of Jesus' power is it offers us more but also requires more of us. It's kind of how it works. Um, I'll close with this question and then I'll pray to wrap up our time. Where do you need the power of Jesus in your, your life? And where is Jesus asking you for more in your life? Where is Jesus' power like asking more of you? The beauty of the powerful king is he asks, but he's crossing barriers into your life. Where do you need the power? Where is he asking more from you? Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for coming to this earth. We thank you for um, certainly your death and your resurrection, but uh, we thank you for this historical record of all of these three different people you interacted with. We thank you that you had power over the demonic spirits that were tormenting this man. We thankful, we're thankful that you had power over the disease that was uh, wrecking this woman's life and we thank you that you even had power over death and um, we need that reminder in our lives I pray for uh, my friends here um, in this room there's people I know very well and know maybe what they're walking through people I've never met before and so I pray Lord that your power would interact with us and work in our lives and that as we are asked to give more of ourselves to you that we would see you as the powerful king who defeated death and sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, Bjorn. Do you rise and sing?